this morning, if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, 1 Chronicles 28. 1 Chronicles chapter 28 is where we're going to be for a few moments as we look into God's Word. 1 Chronicles chapter 28. Last week, last Sunday morning specifically, we looked at Psalm 145 and talked about praising God and how great God was and how good he was, how generous he was, and how uh, much glory he had. And that was written by David. And this week's sermon is going to be written by David as well, penned by David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're going to start by looking at verses 9 and 10. It says, And now in thou, Solomon my son, Know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart, and with a willing mind, for the Lord searcheth all hearts, and understandeth all the imagination of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be, he will be found of thee, but if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build an house for the sanctuary. Be strong, and do it. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful to be able to open your word this morning. Uh, we thank you for a good group of folks who've assembled uh, together in your name to worship and honor you. And we come together uh, in unity, seeking your face, looking to hear from heaven this morning. We ask that you would bless uh, the message that has been prepared and that uh, it would be your words and not mine. May you speak to hearts, including mine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you could leave advice for the next generation, what would it be? If you could leave advice for your children or for your close family members, if you don't have children, what would it be? As I was preparing this message, I couldn't help uh, but think about my two boys. And if I had just one paragraph to give them, what would I write? What would I say? I could find almost no better pieces of wisdom to give them than what David is imparting to Solomon here in this text. To know God, to serve God with a perfect heart, with a willing mind, and to do what God has given you to do. David here is, is passing off the scene. He's coming to the end of his journey and there's a time for every single one of us where we come to the end of our journey. It's important that we invest in the next generation. Gospel Baptist Church takes steps to invest in the next generation. And thankful that we see young, godly men and women who give their life to the Lord, go off to Christian colleges, uh, go off uh, to serve the Lord in many different areas. And David here, as he prepares to leave this earth, he gives some advice here to Solomon. Now, he had been, David had been preparing himself to build the temple. He wanted to build the temple, but God said, no, you're not going to do it. God had his reasons behind it. David was a man of war, had shed much blood, and God wanted that job to go to someone else who had not spilt as much blood as David had in his life. He was a warrior. David had two sons two other sons, and he lost them. The first one was Amnon. We know him by the sermon 
that often gets preached, but Amnon had a friend. Amnon had a friend who told him, convinced him to do evil instead of telling him to obey the Lord. And sadly, uh, Amnon was the young man who ended up uh, raping his own sister. And then later on, Absalom went and killed Amnon. So he lost one son there, and the other one is Absalom. He rebelled against his father, David. He convinced the kingdom to betray its own king. And many of the kingdom, uh, much of the kingdom, followed after Absalom. And his demise ended with his hair, his beautiful hair, getting caught in a tree and uh, getting uh, darts shot into his heart. And so David had lost two sons. But God specifically tells him a few verses prior to this one that Solomon is going to be the one to build the temple. And as David comes close to death, a few verses later, it mentions that David slept with his father, meaning that he passed away. So he comes to the end, and he wants to give Solomon the best start that he possibly can in his new ministry as king and leader of this nation with the specific task to build the temple. So what does he say? The first thing I notice here, but thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father. It's important that we know God. It is important that we know God. David was pushing Solomon to know God, to experience God. David was a good parent. Was he a perfect man? No, he had his faults and failures, and he made his mistakes. But he was a righteous man because when he did fail, he got back up and kept on doing what was right. But he was a good parent. And part of being a good parent is pushing your children to know God. If you do not push your children to know God, you are not a good parent. Notice that David's final advice to Solomon is not that Solomon would be successful in the eyes of the world. Solomon, David's advice to Solomon was not that Solomon would be rich that Solomon would get a bunch of land, that Solomon would build a bunch of houses. His goal for Solomon was to know God. I'm thankful my parents are actually here today somewhere. Oh, they're right back there. My parents are here uh, visiting for a week, and I'm thankful that God gave me parents who pushed me to know God, that didn't get distracted by everything else, the glitz and glamour that the world has to offer and what everybody else is propagating, how we should live our life, I'm thankful that my parents pushed me to know God. And today, sadly, the majority of Christian parents, Christian parents are pushing their kids to do just about anything but know God. They're pushing them and saying, if you don't go to a secular university and get an education, you're never going to amount to anything. What a lie. What a lie. By the way, many of the successful people that are in this room only have a high school education. They push them to know sports more than they know Jesus. They push them to be popular, to have friends, that friends are more important than knowing God. 
So sad. My parents, they didn't push me to get an education to be successful or to be popular or to be educated in the things of this world. My mom and dad cared that I knew God. They pushed me to go to church. They forced me, and I do say forced, forced me to go to church, forced me to go to a Christian school, even when I didn't want to go to a Christian school. But looking back today, I'm happy that I did. By the time I graduated high school, I ended up getting saved after I, in the summer after I graduated at a Christian camp. And partially from all the influence that I've had growing up from good parents, godly parents, and godly uh, leaders and friends. I trusted Christ as my Savior and went to a Christian college, went to a Bible college, Crown College, good one. There's many good Christian colleges out there. Surrendered my life to preach, and the rest is history. But I'm thankful that they pushed me to know God not a bunch of this stuff that doesn't matter. Because in the end, the only thing that is really going to matter is if we know God. David encouraged Solomon, didn't, could have encouraged Solomon to do anything, but he challenged him instead to know God. David wanted Solomon not to just know any God. He said, the God of thy father. David wanted Solomon to adopt and to have the same God that he had, the God of thy father. Don't be a parent, by the way, that says, do as I say, not as I do. It's a terrible way of parenting. Do as I say, not as I do. David wasn't saying, Solomon, I want you to serve God even though I'm not serving God. I want you to be a Christian even though I'm not being a good Christian. David was sharing with Solomon the things that he had adopted on his own. And as he imparted this information to the next generation, it was real with him. And it was something that Solomon could see and he could grab onto. Parents often, they shove their kids in Christian school or they shove them to youth group or they shove them to, to Sunday school and all sorts of different areas like that, Christian influences. But at home, it's not real. It must be real at home. Kids are not stupid. They see how parents behave, how parents act. And just because you send them to a Christian school, just because you send them to church, just because you push them to go to a youth group, push them to go to a, a Christian camp, what you do at home far outweighs what goes on in those other adventures. They're with you a lot longer than they are in those other endeavors. Those things are good things, pushing them to Christian education, to... Christian camp, youth group, church. But the next generation's looking for something real. They're looking for, for adults to model that aren't just half in and half out, as we often so tend to be. It's important that we know God, because if we don't know God, there's no possible way you can serve God. And if we don't know God, there's not a possibility we can accurately love God if we do not have the right view about who he is. And don't just tell your kids in the next generation to know God. Tell them to know your God, as David did. So how do we know God? Well, David's desire was for Solomon to have a personal relationship with God like he had had. Not merely intellectual, 
Intellectual is important, but personal is far better. Some of the people who know a lot about God are the people that are actually farthest from him. Some of the people who know the most about God, the the professors that sit in these high prestigious, sometimes Christian colleges, know so much about the Bible, but it's all intellectual. The hardest thing about going to a Christian college, specifically when I'm I'm specifically referring to ministry, going to a Christian college to study for ministries, that you get so engrossed in the intellectual side of God in the Bible, it's sometimes hard to break away and remember that it's the personal relationship that what counts. That what counts. The furthest I ever felt away from God when I was when I was at Bible college. I had it going on up here, but it wasn't in the heart. It wasn't personal to me. David had experienced God, but now it was Solomon's time to experience God himself. And I'm not really a fan of the word experience when we're talking about God, Christianity, the Bible, simply because it's a good word, it's fine, but... A lot of groups have taken that word and misconstrued it, misconstrued it and used it uh, to water it down, uh, that we're going to go to church and experience God like it's some fluffy light thing. But each one of us who are saved knows that we have had a personal encounter, a personal experience with God that has miraculously changed our life. And if you can never remember a moment, a place, or a time, you better check. You better check. You better ask God if he can search your heart and show whether you truly are born again. You weren't always a Christian. There had to be a moment when it became real to you. You didn't inherit it from your mom or dad, just like David was not just going to miraculously give it to Solomon. It had to be Solomon's choice to grab hold and to serve the God of his father. It must be his choice to experience God himself. Many people, they claim to know God, and they even claim that they've experienced God, and they claim that they know him. But when I begin to ask them about God, they give me a picture of God and a description of God that does not match up with the Word of God. And if it does not match up with the Word of God, it is not the one and living true God. It's a God made in our own image that we've conjured up in our mind. That's why it's so important if we're going to know God, We have to know him by his revelation. And there's two ways that he has revealed himself to us, through his word, the written word, the revelation, and also through his works, which we would maybe call general general revelation. could also include the works of salvation and the personal experience we've had with Christ, but also it includes the majesty of his creation is how we know God. It's important that we experience. And when people come and they give me this description about who God is, and we take them back to the Bible, and they're wrong, we must throw out every false idea that contradicts what the Word of God says. There was a school parent a while back, this last year, who my wife was talking to, and she said that, as she said she was a new Christian for about a year or so, and that she was, you know, trying to you know, get more faithful to God and know more about God. And my wife asked her, well, you know, are are you reading your Bible? And she says, well, no. (laughs) She says, I just experienced God. Whoa. 
quo. And by talking with her, her theology was very wrong. It was made to how she perceived it to be. It's important that we know who God is and that we experience God and we know him through his word. We want you to know who God is. This is not just for the next generation. This is for you. We want you to know who God is. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, we want you to know. How much do we want you to know? Well, we come up with things like Pastor Bill, the Bible reading board. That's so we know God. So we get immersed in the word of God and it renews our mind and it moves out all those preconceived ideas and it strengthens our faith and allows us to experience God in the right way. So not only... Not only are we to know God, but he gives another, another command. He says, and now Solomon, my son, know the God of thy father and serve him. It's not merely enough to know who God is. He requires our service. And the people who claim that they know God, but have no service for God, makes me doubt whether they really know God. Well, that's a lot of confusing statements I just made. But their works don't match up with what they say. We serve God by worship and obedience. Most parents push their children and want their, their children to be Christians, but they don't want their children to be fanatics. About 99% of them, sadly. They want them to be Christians, but they do not want them to be fanatics. They want them to attend a church. They want them to maybe give to the church, maybe to do a little bit here or there. But oh no, whatever happens, I don't want them to go to Bible college. These are the things that I hear. These are the things that my friends and other ministries tell me that I've heard from testimonies from my own peers who have said their parents have not encouraged them to do what God has called them to do. No calling to preach. Oh, no, don't do that. Whatever happens, don't go to the mission field. We want our kids to be Christians, but too often we put limitations on how much we want them to be serious about God. David wasn't that way. He says, no God, but serve him. And Solomon, by the way, he had a father who had served God himself. Imagine being Solomon growing up and David is your dad. I mean, what better example could you have had? I mean, growing up and hearing the stories about how your father, the hero of the nation, had slain a giant walked over there and lopped off his head and carried it back. Whoa. I mean, Solomon's dad was bad to the bone. He comes back, and, and of course, we know the story how it goes, that, uh, that Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. He no doubt had heard about the lion and the bear that his father had killed. Through the power of God, I might add. No doubt he had heard about all the nations and the evil folks who oppose God and how David conquered them time and time again, even to the place where he was almost killed by a giant. 
and he was saved miraculously. His dad was a hero. Imagine growing up with that. So Solomon firsthand had experienced what a real believer and a real child of God was. Not simply because he did those mighty acts, because there's many men throughout history who did great physical things. That's not what made him a hero. It was a hero because he did it through the power and the might of God Almighty. And so Solomon got to witness that. Wow, unbelievable. There's a generation of young people who are looking to you folks who are wanting to see the giants that you have slain and wanting to see the great feats that you've accomplished for God. The question is, are there any? There's still time if you have breath to set a good example for the next generation. Be that dad, be that mom, be that grandma. If you don't have any kids, be that Sunday school teacher. Be that bus worker. Be that school teacher. Let's set the example. And let's not act for a minute that we can't, ac- that we can't accomplish anything great for God. That's just not true. There's great things if we allow God to use us and we serve him with the knowledge that we know about him. Solomon saw David serve God. And David urges Solomon for service as well. Parents often push their kids to follow their dreams. Don't ever tell your child to follow their dreams. It is not biblical. It is not biblical. We are to follow God's dreams. You know the likelihood of your child getting to professional sports? I mean, do you know the likelihood? I think I looked it up a while back, and it was like point, and then like four, five, zeros, two, four, something like that. I mean, it's so unlikely. Quit pushing your kids. Enjoy the time that they're kids. Yes, sports are a great avenue. You can learn many things. That's why we have sports here at our Christian school. We think it's good, but an imbalance of it is not good. When you ask your children and you ask the next generation, what they want to do with their life. Don't ask them what they want to do with their life. Ask them instead, what does God want you to do with your life? Because that's really the only thing that matters. If young people go and they pursue their dreams their entire life, and it's not God's dreams, at the end of it, they end up with absolutely nothing. We must encourage people to serve God and to serve our God. We are to serve him, the verse says, with a perfect heart. The word perfect, it means complete. Be totally sold out for God. These people who are half in and half out, they never accomplish anything great for God in their life. And you and I will never accomplish anything great in our life if we are half in with God and half out. It's all in or it's nothing. We are limiting the work of the Holy Spirit and empowerment in our lives by straddling the fence. King Amaziah is a great example of that in 2 Chronicles 25. It says that King Amaziah, he served God, but not with a perfect heart. Big picture wise, yes, oh yeah, child of God, yes. Oh, king of the nation of Judah, great. But he didn't want to serve God totally, completely. 
he goes and he hires the some mercenaries from Israel. And Israel was in rebellion towards God and he should never have done it because at that place and time, they were not friends of God. They were enemies of God. A man came and said, don't do it. Call them off. We're going to war. We don't want these people who are not pleasing God to be on our side. And Amaziah says, but what about the money I gave them? He says, and the man responds, God is able to give us much more. What did Amaziah choose? Oh, no. He wanted to serve God. He wanted to go to war, but he didn't do it totally and completely God's way, and they got their butts kicked. They lost. Not only that, it was a decline, a slow decline. He didn't serve God completely. He didn't serve God totally. And when he came back from war, he did a terrible thing and brought back the gods of the heathen and began to worship them. The prophet of God comes to Amaziah and says, please, please don't do this. And he says, You're, why, who appointed you to be the king's counselor? Yikes. Now he's pushing away the man of God. It's a slow decline. Soon enough, soon enough, the king of Israel comes down. They chase him. Long story short, Amaziah runs for his life and dies like a dog. He wasn't all in. His heart was not perfect. His heart was not completely sold out for God. And it's not only with a perfect heart, but it's with a willing mind as well. It's the attitude of you don't have to, you get to. That's what David was saying to Solomon. He says, know God, serve God, but serve him with a willing mind. You don't have to, you get to. So many people funnel through here week after week and show up to their ministries time after time. We've got a great group of people. I'm just, uh, I'm just saying there are people who do this, who come in and they serve God nearly out of duty because it's what they're supposed to do. Not with the attitude, I get to serve God and I'm happy to serve God. Be happy that you get to give. Be happy that you got something to give. Be happy that you have an opportunity to serve. Be happy that you get to go on the bus route, not that it's a burden every time that you go. Are there days we wake up where we're discouraged? Are there days that we serve God merely out of duty? Yes, but those days should be few and far between. The majority of the time, nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, we ought to serve God with a willing heart, with a willing mind. The Bible reads in Ephesians 6, 5 and 6, Servants, be obedient unto them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Not doing this to gain recognition from anybody, because really, what's that going to do? We don't serve God out of pride. We shouldn't serve God from a pat on the back. So many Christians serve God out of duty, and it gives the world a bad taste for Christianity. They say, all oh, those Christians, you know, those ones that are working for their salvation, their own, the only reason they're doing good things is to cover their own backs. That's not what we, true Bible believers, that's not why we serve God. We serve God because we know him. We've experienced him. We have a personal relationship with him. And out of the love for God, we offer our life as a living sacrifice. 
And a living sacrifice is tough because a living sacrifice can get down off the altar. It's not a dead one. It's a living one. So it's a daily battle of offering our life to Christ for service. And we serve him because we love him. We need to serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind because he searches our hearts is what the next part of the verse says. Our motives matter. Our motives matter. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. You can fool me. You can fool Pastor Bill. You can fool Thomas. You can fool uh, you know, the kids you teach Sunday school. You can fool the people that you go knock on their door at door-to-door and witness to. But we're not fooling God. The only one that you're cheating out of anything is you. Get your heart in it. God doesn't just want your service. He wants your heart. Thirdly, he says, oh, don't just know God. Don't just serve him, but seek him. Seek him. Make him the priority. There's a choice. Seek God or seek the flesh. What David didn't know was that Solomon had a test coming. A big test. Where Solomon finds himself in the presence of God and is offered a choice. Wisdom to lead the nation, wealth and riches beyond your wildest dreams. The the word of God doesn't say what was going on in Solomon's mind at that moment, but I wonder if this challenge from his godly father came back into his mind. And when his father said, serve God, know God, seek God, And Solomon ended up making the right choice. And God blessed him with all those other things because of his service. There was a test coming. Now, each one of us, we have a test coming. We all have tests coming. We have this opportunity, whether we are going to seek God or seek our own desires, to seek the worldly riches or to seek the things of God. We're no different than Solomon. You say, well, God's not going to appear to me like that. No, but it's the same exact choice that we have to make. And it's utterly important if we're going to do something for God and if we're going to give to the next generation something that's real and show them something that's tangible and that's obtainable, we have to choose the right thing. I like that it says that God will be found. God will be found. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. People act like God is just trying to string them around their whole life, that God's really not obtainable, that you can't really know that you have salvation, that you can't really uh, uh, know the deep things of Scripture. You can't really know for sure that when you die, you're going to gain eternal life. That's not true. That's not the God of the Bible. The people who are willing and want to know can know. And if we seek God, he will be found but we must seek him over all those other things in order for it to be possible. And how do we find him? 99% of everything that we know about God and we need to know for the Christian life to be successful is found in the pages of Scripture. 99%. Almost everything you need to know. Say, well, I don't know if I should take this job. Go to the book. I don't know if this is right or if this is wrong or this is... Go to the book. You say, well, it doesn't say it specifically. You're going to find it. Seek God and it'll be found. 
But there's a warning. There's a warning given. If thou seek him, he'll be found, yes. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Solomon had been warned. Solomon couldn't put the blame on anybody else. Later on in Solomon's life, we see he had a great start, but a lot of his reign as king was filled with trouble and filled with turmoil. He made many mistakes. I shouldn't call them mistakes. I should say sins. Because they didn't happen by accident. They happened on purpose, with a purpose, a purposeful decision. He had many sins and many failures where he battled this. And maybe in his mind, again, this challenge from his father came up as he saw it in writing, as he read through the scriptures. If you seek God, he'll be found. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon is at the end of his life as he pens this book of Ecclesiastes. He comes to chapter 12 and he almost gives a repeat of what David was saying. Fear now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Solomon had come full circle and he agreed, hey, what my father said was true. Should have listened to him better. I should have done more. I should have served God more. I should have done it with a complete heart. Instead, I lived a life full of vanity for things that ultimately really didn't matter. And he finishes, one of the last things he writes is, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. He got it at the end. What great advice for David to leave to the next generation. It says in verse 10, it says, Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build an house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Solomon had a purpose, a specific role that God wanted him to fulfill, and he fulfilled that role. And it was a beautiful, magnificent temple, and he fulfilled it to every degree that it was supposed to be fulfilled, and he did it. And God, he has a purpose for each and every one of us in this room this, this morning. A purpose. You say, well, well, man, I can't do anything for God like that. We're not going to do this exact thing that Solomon did. But God has a purpose for you that is specific. Find that purpose. It starts by knowing God and seeking God and serving God. And you can find that purpose and fulfill it. You say it doesn't make a difference. It makes a difference. It makes a big difference. This morning, Pastor Bill just talked about Doug Smith sacrificing his vacations to drive a bus, that made a difference. That made a difference in the life, lives of those young people who went, those that made decisions for Christ. Doug, last week when you were here, I don't know if you're here, last week when you were here, I told him about how you came and you took the batteries out of the buses, drove them up to the place, got them swapped out, came all the way back, yanked out the alternator, ordered a new one, threw it in there. What was that? That was Doug Smith found his purpose, found his gift, what God wanted him to do, and he fulfilled it. You say, that's not big. That's huge. Can't tell you how much it thrilled my soul that he just jumped all over it. 
each one of us has a purpose that God has for us. And here's the thing, find what God wants us to do it, to do. And then that last phrase, be strong and do it. Be strong and do it. We are to know God. We're to serve God. We're to seek God. And we are to fulfill his will. Be strong and do it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this challenge uh, from David. Every Christian in this room who's serious about their faith wants this to be true of their life. Every Christian who's serious in this room wants this legacy to be left with the next generation. I know I do. I want this for my boys and for my daughter, for my family, for their children and for their grandchildren. We want it. And there's really nothing limiting us from knowing God and serving God and seeking God but our own will. There's a fight, I'm sure, going on in the hearts and minds of folks in the congregation this morning who are battling whether they're going to take God serious or not, whether they're going to serve him and seek him if if he's going to be their main focus. May you work in their heart. May you cause them to remove the darkness that clouds their minds that they may see clearly exactly what you have for them and how good it's going to be if we simply serve God. May it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.